0: Please take out your uh, green inserts from your bulletin and uh, read along with uh, Sylvia, the responsive reading. You will be reading the uh, bold print. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her de- desert deserts like Eden, her wasteland like garden of the Lord, Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving, and the sound of singing.
1: Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations.
0: My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me, and wait in hope for my arm.
1: Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail.
0: Hear me, you who know what is right. You people who have taken my instructions to heart, do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults.
1: For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will devour them like wool. My righteousness will last forever. My salvation through all generations.
2: Our Old Testament reading will be in uh, Ezra six, thirteen to sixteen in the Pew Bible page four hundred and thirty-five. <laughs> then, because of the decree King Darius had sent, Tatanai, governor of Trans Euphrates and Shelt- Shetar Bozanai and their associates, carried it out with diligence. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet of Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, In the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God
3: with joy. Uh, This gospel reading is Luke 2 verse 8 and 14 and in your pew Bible 945. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests.
4: So you have this passage in Ezra, Old Testament, post-exilic, that is to say Israel had already been taken into exile, and this was over now, they were back in Israel, and we have a story of a construction of a temple. Fast forward to the modern time, if you go to Jerusalem today, And I would love to take another group, so let me know if you're interested. If you go to Jerusalem today, there's a thing you've all heard of called the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. What it is is these giant, massive stones that are piled one upon the other that comprise the Temple Mount. And the Western end of the Temple Mount is where the sanctuary would have been situated such that the Holy of Holies was closest to. Now many of you remember studying the sanctuary and you remember that the Holy of Holies housed one piece of furniture that was particularly sacred and particularly important. It was gloriously crafted, gold-covered, polished. It had a mercy seat, they called it. And over the mercy seat were the wings of cherubim folded, and enclosed. It was a magnificent piece. In it were three very important objects that reminded Israel of its faith, its religion, and its journey. One, of course, was the Ten Commandments, carved in stone by God's own finger. One was a jar, a vessel, that contained manna, so that those who worshipped could forever remember God's provision gives added meaning to the words Jesus utters later in his life. I am the bread of life. The manna in the wilderness that sustained them through that time was more than physical food. And then there is the rod of Aaron, which not only along with the rod of Moses did some interesting tricks, but it actually resurrected, if you will. It was a dead piece of wood that was used as a staff that was caused to come to life and blossom again. And in this piece, we see the foreshadowing of something incredibly meaningful, hopefully, to us all, and that is resurrection life, something very beautiful. What Israel treasured most of all in the Ark of the Covenant was not these three incredible treasures and markers or even the craftsmanship of the object itself, but it was the very sacred presence of God Dwelling there, the Shekinah, the glory, the glory that hovered over the mercy seat. You can see pictures of it in, this, in the temple, uh, the, the wilderness tabernacle, of the encampment surrounding the tabernacle in the very center, and the outer tent, and then the inner tent divided into its two compartments, and the light. The cloud of light and fire that traveled with them by night hovering over the place where the sanctuary, uh, Shekinah, glory, mercy seat was, and then the cloud by day. So for those who mourn on the Western Wall, their prayer is that they might experience again the presence of God. Many of you have heard me say that once before, but it never hurts us to remember that that's the essence of what all of this is about, a sense of the ongoing presence of God. And for those in Israel, they mourn the loss of a temple where the Most Holy of Holies contained or conveyed for them The very presence of God. And so, as one goes to this ancient site, one is struck by the devotion to it as a remembrance of what it means to have God with us. Now, the tragedy from a Christian perspective is that God is with us, Jesus has come and made his dwelling among men, and promises to return to take us to be with him. The Messiah prophecies have been fulfilled. God's glory is maybe not as visible as it was in the tabernacle in the wilderness, but his presence is with us always and with us still. What happens with Presence is the opposite of what happens in mourning, the absence of presence. You see, The Jews cry for the loss of their temple. They cry for the loss of the visible presence of God. But what the presence of God brings is the opposite of this kind of mourning. It's dancing. He shall turn our sorrows to joy, our mourning into dancing, the Scripture says. Now, you've seen me, I'm a terrible dancer, so I won't try to worship dance for you this morning. I, I don't think it would add anything to your uh, take-home message. And in fact, might distract you to the point that you remember nothing else I say. <laughs> His presence is a place of joy. So as we read this story, and you you need to read the whole thing. I have preached on Ezra before, a long time ago. I'm sure those those stories are on archive. But if you would like to just go back and reread it for yourself, you'll discover uh, amazing historical facts. Cyrus's original decree was retrieved from the archive, if you will, by Darius, who then read it and understood that not only were the Jews given permission to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple, but that the Medo-Persian Empire funded the rebuilding of the temple and made it a capital offense to interfere with the construction of the temple. It's very gruesome. It specifies that if a man commits an act of terror basically against the construction of the temple he is to be taken to his own home and impaled through on one of the beams of his own house and then after he's had sufficient time to hang out to dry so to speak so that the world might know what he had done his house in turn is to be turned to rubble do you think the king was serious about this just a thought yes no no Pretty serious. Not only are they to return, but they're to rebuild their temple to the living God, the one true God. They're not to be interfered with. Anybody interfering with them will be put to death, not by God, but by the empire. And the empire is going to pay for it. This is not a cheap construction pro- process or project. And so the people do this they go back, they rebuild. And when the temple is finished, we read today in our brief text that they dedicate it and they are filled with joy. Peter mentioned it a little bit ago in my letter. Sometimes English is very clear, sometimes it's nuanced. And I've tried to nuance the best I can. We have a multitude of words for joy, happiness, gladness, this kind of thing. We have lots of words. And they are more or less synonyms. If we are to nuance them though, I think there's something really powerful about this word we so underutilize in the English language today, joy. You see, when we wish somebody joy, we're not just wishing that they be happy at some level. We're not talking about um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness such as we define it when we talk about joy. We're not talking about contentment. Many of us experience contentment, which is a wonderful thing and a spiritual gift all of its own. Contentment is a great blessing, but it is not joy. And many of us have been ecstatic at one moment or another, that perfect present, you know, that red Ferrari with the bow on the driveway at Christmas just says, I love you, like nothing else could. Okay. Ecstatic in the moment, you know. Or we're ecstatic because we aced the test. Or you think of something, you know. We have this sort of very short-lived, temporary state of extreme happiness and joy. But it's usually associated with something fleeting. It would take a lot of drugs to live in a state of ecstasy. Some people try to do that to their detriment. But what we do have is the promise of joy. And that's our Advent theme today, joy. Joy is a sustainable, ongoing sense of happiness and well-being. But beyond that, there's something life-giving about joy, enlivening something that makes our spirits thrive, not just come alive, but thrive. And so in the presence of God, as as the temple is completed and furnished and everything that was stolen by the Babylonians returned to the temple, all of the silver and all of the gold, the chalices, the tablewares, the furnishings, all these precious things as they came back to the temple of God and the glory returned. Israel had cause for joy because their God was with them and had come. And we fast forward to Luke, this incredible story. They're minding their own business out in the fields, doing what shepherds do. I think it's got to be the world's most boring profession, but according to something I saw, and I have terrible referential memory, but something I saw Recently, the claim is that the oldest man on earth is 134 and still tending sheep. They showed his picture. It was remarkable. I would like to think that's true. I would like to think that humans could live to 134. That's pretty cool, especially if they're still out tending sheep. So there must be something about the profession to recommend it to the rest of us. It can't be all stressful and bad. He seems to have done pretty well on that. And those mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches didn't hurt either. (laughs) So here's a guy, who 10 sheep, who's lived a long life. But out in the quiet of Bethlehem's hills, and it would have been very quiet then and in the dark, suddenly we have these dazzling lights and appearances. It was quite a show. Certainly something they were not expecting and not accustomed to. And not only that, they startled, I think, from the text, but I love the King James, which simply cannot be replaced in this instance. And I do apologize for the old English, but it, as my wife has pointed out, it carries uh, a power that the new English just cannot. It doesn't say they were terrified. We use that a lot. It says they were sore afraid. Don't you love that? Okay, you don't. That's fine. (laughs) I'm something of a word guy, I guess, so there you go. Sore afraid. When was the last time you were sore afraid? I don't know. I mean, the the, the comedy equivalent of that in modern times is the puddle gathering at your feet. Terrified. Terrified which tells us something about the brilliance of the heavenly hosts, something about the majesty and fearsomeness of angels. They have to tell the shepherds, hey, it's okay. We bring good news of great joy. Great joy. This is going to change your life. This is going to change the way you think about everything. This is going to change the way you live. This is going to change who you are and what you care about now and forever for unto us in the city of David is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. You'll find him wrapped in a manger, wrapped up in grave clothes. You'll see him there. And the shepherds check it out. They go to the place and they see the child and life will never Ever be the same. They're changed. They're changed. A song has been sung that can't be unsung. Its echoes ring through all the ages. Forever and ever the sound goes out. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men upon whom his favor rests. Hear the strain as it carries forward. You are one on whom God's favor rests. Hopefully the strain has hit your ears. Hopefully the music has carried forward 2,000 years and you too can hear it resounding through the hills. Praise God, glory to God, for he has come. He has made his dwelling with men and women, with us. He has become not just the promise, not just the word, he is Emmanuel, God with us, with humankind, now and forevermore, for us, with us, who can be against us, right? Joy. Joy. It comes down to joy. It's easy to lose track, and we do all the time. We struggle in this life. That's the other truth, isn't it? The truth is that we have to sweat to eat, the truth is, making a living is tough that paying bills is no fun. The truth is that traffic is awful. The truth is we take risks to our safety and our lives and our family every single day just to get where we go and do what we do. The truth is our relationships don't always work the way we wish they did. And sometimes our relationships are broken. Sometimes our families are broken. Sometimes, because of the way we were raised, or maybe it's just a trait that we have that isn't adaptive, isn't helpful. We find ourselves angry or chronically depressed. We take it out on others around us. Sometimes we hurt people we love, and sometimes we hurt people we don't love. Sometimes we're just alienating. We suffer the stress of deadlines. We need them, most of us. We have people who have great expectations for us because they have somehow provided for our lives. Life isn't easy. Some of you have teenagers, and that's a whole nother level, sometimes, of stress and pain. This thing you've given life to, this person you've loved, seems to not only not like you. (laughs) Parenting. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all the challenges, religious differences, brokenness, pain, relationship struggles, the work we do to make a living, the challenges of loving and being loved, and worse, Feeling negatively and being disliked or hated. In the midst of all of that, God says, I come and with me I bring joy. And it wasn't just for the angels to the shepherds, it wasn't just for a people who could experience the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and the Shekinah glory. It's for you today. Because when Jesus left, he not only breathed on his disciples and gave them his spirit, but he promised that a comforter would come. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come and be with us and speak to us and gift us and bless us. And because of our faith in Jesus, because of our acceptance of the one who's come, in the flesh god with us and promised to stay with us in the spirit because of all of that if we live our lives in and through that we are promised promised joy turn to galatians to 522 very briefly Verse 19, Paul outlines some of the challenges that we all experience, some of the things that happen out of our sinfulness. I don't need to read those. We're well acquainted with them. But verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, is love. We'll talk about that more next week. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. You see, it's radical. What came at what we call Christmas time so many years ago, is radical. It changed the world forever. And by the Spirit and life in the Spirit, it continues to change the world forever. The joy that belonged to those who experienced a temple where the presence of God was. It's the same joy as those who witnessed the angels proclaiming the birth and felt the joy in their hearts as they saw the babe is the same joy that faith in Christ and life in the Spirit brings to believers today who receive it as a fruit, as a gift. Joy. It's the water you bathe in and drink. It's the air you breathe. It's the milieu of your life. It is where you live. It is what you choose it is what God surrounds you with. It's not Pollyanna. It's not falseness. It's not everything's fine when you've just had your foot run over by a truck. It's not pretend. It's neither falsely modest nor aggrandizing. And it certainly doesn't fall into the sins that Paul lists. It's joy. The highest form of happiness human beings can know comes when human beings are aligned with the God who made them, confronted them in the garden, laid out for them a plan of redemption, carried it out in Christ Jesus, lived among us, and promised to receive us to himself. Joy. I can't give it to you any more plainly, I don't know how, but my prayer is this season that you will be possessed of a new joy, a joy that comes in the presence of God and living there constantly, whatever your life situation is, whatever your pains, sins, sorrows, a new joy, because God's promised it. It's the fruit of your choice to believe in and follow Jesus and live life by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, this season, more than anything, we would accept your joy. We would take that on as the way we would want to live our lives. Constant state of recognition of your presence and all that that changes for us and in us for we would be completely yours now in this season and forevermore. Be with us over the next months as we journey through your life, your passion, your pain, and your death and resurrection. For we make that journey with you as your followers. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The deacons are now going to service it is year-end friends so I would just make this plea your church exists and thrives by your generosity conversely it suffers it bleeds and ultimately dies if you're not interested in sharing your resources with this community ultimately It suffers and dies if you have no time for this community. Ultimately, it suffers and dies if you don't care about your brothers and sisters here enough to serve them and with them to serve the world. So please be generous. Thank you. And now may the grace of God, the presence of Jesus Christ, the gift of the Spirit, May these go with us now and forevermore as this great song carries through the ages. Glory to you, God, in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men on whom your favor rests. For this we thank you. Amen.